Good morning, Central City. If I haven't had the chance uh, to meet you, my name is Joe, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Central City. And uh, I'm excited to spend uh, I'm excited to spend some time with you this morning. We're on week three of a series called uh, Headline. Um, uh, where we're looking at uh, just a variety of current events that are happening in the world. We're really trying to do three things. We're going to do these three things today in, in one form or another, these three things during this series. We want to, one, name the issues on that, uh, that are, we, we see a lot of people debating and discussing online. We want to talk about them and uh, look at them. Uh, so we're going to do that today with, uh, as we uh, talk about immigration. We're going to look at the issue and share a little history and some numbers. Then we want to look at them, uh, we want to also look at them from a theological perspective. What does the Bible have to say? What does God have to say? Uh, where is God's heart on some of these issues? And so we'll do that today as well as we look at immigration. Um, and then we also, though, we want to learn, what does it look like for us to have difficult conversations around topics like this? And so um, I'm going to actually finish the sermon today by sharing a little bit of what that has looked like for me, specifically relating to uh, the issue that we're talking about today. So the first week we talked about just the general political divide that's happening in our country. Um, we are deeply divided, very polarized, uh, very partisan, and uh, it's uh, severing families and relationships, and uh, um, it's uh, one of the major issues. Um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that first uh, teaching, I, I recommend it. You can get it on iTunes or, or Overcast, or you can find it on our, on our website. Then last week, Alyssa began to unpack uh, racism and privilege. Uh, what, uh, what does it look like to uh, view everyone as people who are created in God's image, that there's something about every person, even, even those we find difficult to love, uh, whatever, whoever that is for you. We all have people in our lives. But there's something that God, they were created in God's image. And so uh, we're going to build on that principle a little bit today as we talk about immigration. Now, uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. I'm actually pulling uh, rather extensively from a teaching by a pastor by the name of Adam Hamilton, um, and he preached a sermon last year at, at the Church of uh, Church of Resurrection um, and uh, on immigration in the Bible. So if you want to dig into where I got a lot of my sources for today's sermon, I can uh, let me know, and I'll send you the link to his teaching. And I'm, I'm uh, 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 it's not plagiarizing if you give credit, right? Uh, so, uh, but his, his, the way in which he handled it, I thought was really appropriate, so I kind of used his conversation as an outline and then began to insert a lot of my own thoughts. Uh, so we're going to look at that today, but before we do, let's, uh, let's pray. God, we come before you. We ask that you would be with us. We ask that you would begin to soften our hearts um, as we begin to wrestle um, with yet another divisive issue, as we uh, begin to look uh, uh, into something um, something that we can't uh, come up with uh, holistic uh, solutions to in one message, um, as we've uh, talked about with, uh, at, in all of these weeks, Lord. We just ask that you would be in the conversation in our hearts and in our lives as we wrestle with some of these things. Uh, we ask that you would speak through me, um, regardless of whatever words come out of my mouth, that you would, uh, that you would uh, just use them uh, as you see fit and that you would challenge and, and work in all of our lives. In your name, amen. So just, uh, I want to start with a, just a really simple poll. Uh, I invite you to raise your hand if you don't come from immigrant stock. Okay, nobody. So let's start there <laughs> as we talk about uh, immigration. Let's start there. Even if we want to be really technical, uh, Native Americans uh, were uh, immigrants. 
uh, who at one point, um, many years ago, crossed the Bering Strait into Alaska and Canada. And, and so um, even if we're going to be really technical, we are a country of immigrants. Um, and we are a collection of different people who've come from all different kind of places and um, to set out for something new, for something better here in America. Um, in fact, it's a defining a characteristic of America that even on the base of the Statue of Liberty, you know these words, um, it reads this, Give me your tired and your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of a teeming shore, send those the homeless, tempest-tossed to me, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. It's beautiful and inspiring words, and I just imagine what, it's like, what it would be like, you know, before planes as you're taking a ship weeks long across this journey, and not everyone's making it. Some people dying on the journey, and you finally see land, not just land, but your new home, and you're coming and you're arriving, what that would have been like. Give me your tired and your poor and your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Now that, it's an American ideal, but our ideals don't always line up with our experiences, do they? Uh, or always line up with our national conversation. In fact, I was listening to a, a comedian this week on Netflix. Uh, he's a French comedian, very famous in France, um, but, uh, uh, but uh, people don't know him in the United States yet. So he did his first English-speaking uh, uh, tour, and uh, they did a Netflix special. And he's hilarious, but he talks about, he says, I went up to the customs officer um, when I was uh, immigrating to the United States, uh, bringing my comedy career here, and he asked me, what is the purpose of your travel? And uh, the uh, customs guy, uh, and, and Gad, this guy, he says, um, I'm here for the American dream. And the custom officer said, oh, we don't do that anymore. Uh, today, Regardless of the ideal, immigration is one of the divisive issues in our nation. Um, it's made uh, headlines, especially in the last election, and specifically around comments around the building of the wall. You know, and there's people pro-wall, anti-wall, uh, but also in comments that the President Trump made. I'm going to read them for you, as divisive as they are, when he said, and he'll probably be forever remembered saying, when Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. You've, you've heard this quote, I'm sure. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. Now, I share that um, to show just how divided we are, because there are some people who would, um, in fact, the majority of Americans, or depending on how you consider the majority, would say, I either agree with that, or I'm okay with someone saying it. And then there's many others, the other half of the country, who's deeply offended or some level of offended by that kind of comment. So when we see this deeply rooted ideal, you know, uh, uh, send us your huddled masses and your hurting and your poor, there are some who says, no, we don't want the huddled masses anymore. Just stay where you are. But the thing is, and this is where I want to move to, this divide and this, this tension isn't new. This is not new to America in this particular election. It's very relevant in our conversation as a nation, but it's not new. Uh, while America has long had this ideal, there's also been this ongoing conversation and this ongoing argument that we see happening right now. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of history. If you don't like history, um, there should be room to um, doodle somewhere. 
But I'm going to share with you a little bit of history because I think it's important for our conversation. Over, uh, over the year, many people have come to America. Uh, some have come for religious reasons. You know, you have the Puritans, some for economic gain. Many come to America for some kind of, you know, searching for prosperity, a better life, the American dream. Uh, some, of course, immigrated to America um, because they were forced to. Um, uh, hundreds of thousands of slaves brought over from Africa, which is a terrible way to immigrate anywhere, but has happened throughout the world at various times, uh, probably not at the level that it happened in the Americas. But after the colonial days, there have been a number of waves of immigrants. I want to talk about two of them because um, I think they're relevant to our conversation. Between 1815 and 1865, there was this huge rush of immigrants from Europe. And many of them came from one particular country in Europe, Ireland. Anyone here with uh, Irish descent? Yeah. Um, in fact, between 1820 and, and 1930, around 4.5 million Irish came to America. There was a famine, and uh, you, you can remember this from your history class, right? We all remember everything we learned in elementary and high school. I do, of course. Um, and so 4.5 million Irish came to America. Today, interestingly, there are more people of Irish descent in America than currently live in Ireland. So we have more people here than, uh, than the homeland. Uh, in fact, um, it became such this contentious thing. When they were coming in, people, not everyone was excited, so it became this political thing. And it became common because one of the great fears during this time, not a fear that we have today regarding immigration, of course not, but back then they were afraid the Irish were gonna take all the jobs. And so um, they began to put out classifieds and um, literally say over and over again, Irish need not apply. There's a, here's an image of, of a classified. And, it, and it, it played out in a lot of different ways. It, of course, it blatantly said no Irish need to apply, but then it also began to, you would see like only Protestants and Irish tended to be Catholic, and so only Protestant apply. Or, and, and what they found as you look through all of these historic classified, there was hundreds of classifieds that were specifically trying to prevent Irish people from taking the job. Um, now, of course, the truth is, is that they filled, as is often the case with immigrants throughout history, they filled a lot of jobs no one else wanted. So they uh, began, they, the Irish were the ones who cut the canals and they dug trenches for water and sewer pipes and they laid rail lines and they cleaned houses and they slaved in the textile mills and they worked as things like stable workers and blacksmiths, etc. But anti-immigration activists became so worked up during this season that there was an entire political party um, made uh, to combat this high level of immigration, people coming into the United States. And they called themselves, which I think is kind of ironic, they called themselves the uh, Native Americans. Now, that's not, we use Native American to refer to those who were here before colonization or before we moved here. They referred to themselves as Native Americans because they were born here. And so this was their, uh, this is one of their, uh, their signs. And their entire platform was built around being anti-immigration, right? So you can see that while we have this ideal, you know, bring us your poor, this has been an ongoing debate in our, in our country. And so they were trying to push for that. Now here's one of their news clippings. This gives you a little bit of a picture of what their platform was all about. Um, not only were they trying, one of the things they were in favor for, I just find this interesting, was you had to live here for 21 years before you could vote. That was just one of the things they were trying to pass. But then they talk a little bit about what, what is, why they're so passionate about this. And this is what they said. And this is kind of old English, so I'm going to try to translate it for us. It says, we're burdened with enormous taxes by foreigners. In other words, these people are costing us money. Okay. Once again, this is back, and this isn't how we feel today. 
We are corrupted in the morals of our youth. In other words, these people are really bad influence on our kids. Okay. We are interfered with, interfered, with, interfered with in our government. In other words, these people are influencing our society and they're influencing our politicians and all this sort of stuff, and we don't, we're tired of it. Uh, we are forced into collusions with other nations. In other words, we are becoming too global. We are tampered with in our religion. In other words, we don't believe the same thing as Catholics. This is what's so fascinating. They were so worried about the Catholic Irish coming, and, and, and yet it, you know, we're talking about the, the same Christian umbrella, friends. I mean, but they were still, the Protestants and the Catholics, great political divide and a lot of worry about the Catholic influence on the Christian faith coming to America. And then we are assailed in our freedom of speech. In other words, we don't feel like we can say what we want to say anymore and speak our mind. This was back then. Well, the other wave of immigrants uh, coming from the other side of the country uh, was coming in to California from Asia. Uh, the Chinese were flooding into the states and like the Irish were taking the jobs that nobody else wanted. And at first America was okay with this. In fact, American officials would go to China and recruit laborers to come because they really wanted people who were willing to work on the railroads and to build the railroad system. But once the railroads were built, um, then the anti-immigration uh, uh, conversation began to, to heighten. And uh, as the Chinese were beginning to move and move into other jobs and other opportunities. So at this point, the, the, the federal government passed its first federal law um, regarding immigration. It was the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. And this law, as it's called, was meant to exclude Chinese. So they put a quota on how many people from China could immigrate to the United States. And for a while, they began to add other countries, and that's how it worked. They decided, based on the country, who could come. Here's a sign from a town hall meeting that happened during this time. The Chinese must go. Mayor uh, Weisbach was uh, gathering people at the Alpha Opera House to uh, consider the Chinese question. Now, they were concerned not only with Chinese taking people's jobs, but there was this really negative feeling around um, um, the negative influence that Chinese people would have on a predominantly white Protestant culture. So people during this time uh, concerned themselves greatly with racial purity. Um, in other words, people from different races, they shouldn't mix. And they definitely shouldn't intermarry. Right? This, this is less of an idea that I think most people, I mean, there's still sex, um, very active political sex in the United States that hold that kind of philosophy, but most people don't. But at this time, it was kind of a generally accepted by a lot of people. They were willing to consider that idea. So they tried to stop immigration, limit the number of people who were come who could immigrate from China, all the way until 1965. In 1965, under the President Johnson, the law changed. They decided at that point that it was immoral to limit immigration based on race. But it, still in favor of controlling the influx of immigrants, they wanted to put a new law in place that would control it. But it wouldn't be based in that immoral sense of deciding which country gets to come to America. Um, so they kind of developed three criteria, and to this day, these are kind of, the, generally speaking, the three criteria for immigration. One is you had to have family here already. 
And if you have family here who lobby on your behalf and help you through the process, then, then you might be able to stay. Two, it, you either have to have special skills or willing to work in a place no one else wants to work. So you, you still see this. You can get uh, immigrants to come and do work that Americans don't want to do, as well as works that are, um, require high levels of education or special skills. So that's the second one. And the third one is you, you have to be a refugee who's fleeing for your life. So those, those are the three um, things that were set in 1965. Now, now, this was such a big deal that the signing of this law actually happened at the Statue of Liberty. You can see the, the image here. Here's President Johnson at the Statue of Liberty um, signing this. And I looked at the speech that Johnson uh, gave at the signing of this bill, and he says this. He says, for it does not, he's talking about this new law that's changing. We're not going to determine it based on where country you come from. He says, for it does not repair a deep and painful flaw in the fabric of American justice. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't heal um, the way in which it's hurt people, right? But he goes on to say, this is what it does do. It corrects a cruel and enduring wrong in the conduct of the American nation. So, so it doesn't heal the wounds that our other laws created, but it does correct this enduring wrong. But here's the thing. When they initiated the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, at that time, it didn't seem cruel or wrong. It was only in hindsight that they saw it as cruel, as an enduring wrong that had to be changed. Friends, humans uh, tend to feel threatened and afraid of new people, uh, new cultures and new perspectives. We're afraid of people who are different from us and the ways that they might threaten our status quo. And whether it be the Irish or the Chinese uh, at various times in our history or nowadays the way in which people talk about Hispanics or Muslims or any other category of people that you might feel threatened by. But here's what I want to, just from the outset, I want to say, I think we need to be very careful how we respond to those situations. What we don't want to do is 20 years from now, look back and say, wow, the laws that we put into place, the laws that our politicians put into place were really grounded in fear and they were cruel and just plain wrong, right? We don't want to look back and say, oh man, what we did was an enduring wrong. In my research, I ran across a video from an immigration lawyer. He's part of Adam Hamilton's church um, who did a sermon on the same topic, and he shared some of his thoughts. He speaks in one video specifically relating to the fear we often see in immigration. And as somebody who works in that field, I thought I would share just an immigration lawyer's perspective in regards to the way in which we fear outsiders. Let's, let's watch this. The church should be the conscience 
of the nation. So let's transition. Let's talk. What's what's happening today in regards to immigration, and not just immigration in general, but uh, what what actually divides us? What the real debate is about is is um, illegal immigration, or as some people refer to as undocumented or unauthorized immigrants, um, because that's that's really the issue that people are often divided over. So I want to share with you some numbers around people who are unauthorized, who are here, and what do we do with people who are here, whether they came here legally or not, but they're currently living here um, against the laws of our government. So laying our, our fears aside, let's just, let's just look at it. Let's see what, what is happening. So today, um, there are 11 million unauthorized immigrants uh, estimated in the United States. So 11 million people who, uh, who uh, estimated, you know, they're, they're not registered. They're not, supposed, they're not supposed to be here. They could be deported or whatever, unauthorized. Now, uh, almost half of those... Um, uh, less than 50% came from Mexico. Now, what's interesting about that is in 2016, this number changed. So up through 2016, the majority of unauthorized immigrants were from Mexico, but that number is actually going down. And so now it's less than 50%. So the majority, technically speaking, aren't from Mexico. So that might just be interesting as we are talking through uh, immigration and breaking through some stereotypes. The majority aren't. They're coming from a lot of other countries, some in Central and South America, but as well as other places. Um, but still about half, or just a little less than half, are from Mexico. So um, uh, tenor, uh, now 60% uh, have lived here for 10 or more years. So, so a vast majority have been living here for a long time. So this isn't somebody who's just been camping out for a couple days or a couple years even. There are individuals who've been here for 10 years. So just imagine you know, what you would accomplish in 10 years, what you've done in the last 10 years, and how, especially as a young family or a young person, you probably have a kid, and the kid's already in school, and I mean, a lot can happen in 10 years. So a lot of these people have, have deep roots in the community. Um, about one-third of them have at least, uh, uh, ha one-third have a children who are American citizens. So a third of unauthorized immigrants have kids who were born here, and so they're American citizens. So just, once again, perspective. And the vast majority aren't committing crimes. If you lay aside the whole illegal immigration component, like that crime, if you lay that crime aside, then the vast majority aren't. 7.5% have been convicted of a crime, but only 2.7% have been convicted of a felony. So the vast majority of 11 million unauthorized immigrants, and that makes sense. You know, you don't want to even get pulled over for a traffic stop because you could, you know, that could put your life in jeopardy. So a lot of them are trying to live very safe, very honorable uh, lives. And, and I thought this was very interesting, uh, as much as 40%, some have said as much as 60%, but I'm going to give you the conservative number, 40% um, have entered uh, legally, but overstayed their visa. So uh, somewhere around half, let's just say, have, have, didn't come to America illegally. They they've, like came here through the proper channels and their visa expired and they've overstayed. Now this also, as we talk about what it means to, to wrestle with this, just some more information. Um, there's a couple things you need to know about what it means to overstay your visa. So if you overstay your visa by six months and you get caught, you'll be deported and you have to stay out of America for three years if you overstay it by six months. If you overstay your visa by, by a year, so your visa expires and a year later and you get caught, you'll be deported, detained, deported, then you're not allowed to come back to America for 10 years. Okay. So once again, you just think about this, what, it, what it's like to walk in someone else's shoe and you're like, you know, you're a young person, you've overstayed your visa and it's maybe been a year, and maybe it was the wrong decision, maybe it wasn't, but like there's, 
no motivation to get yourself registered or to turn yourself in, especially if you've met someone, you've had a kid, you have a job, you have a home, you have a life. These are some of the factors that have to do with um, uh, immigration. Now, of course, many of these individuals are working jobs like immigrants throughout uh, our history in places uh, no one else wants, in agriculture, and building and groundskeeping, and maintenance, roofing, sheetrock construction, uh, meat packaging, and et cetera. So with each of these factors, uh, what to do with unauthorized immigrants is actually very complicated. If you talk to experts on whatever political side, that's one of the things you'll hear. This is really complicated. We're talking about real people um, with lives and uh, what do we do and how do we do it when it comes down to laws. I, I'm not, I, I'm, as we said at the beginning, I'm, at the beginning of the series, I'm not a lawyer, I don't understand these things. And people who work in immigration law say it's very complicated. Like the immigration lawyer we just watched, if you asked him, um, hey, we, let's make you president, what would you do to fix it? And his first response would be like, well, that's really complicated. <laughs> Like, this, it's, it's messy and it's difficult. But here's what I think, um, and, and then we're going to move on and look at this from a theological perspective. In an ideal democracy, the laws should reflect the heart of the people. In an ideal democracy. And uh, uh, that's not always the case, but I think that's the ideal. And uh, politically, I think we can do better. I think, I think we can do better. And, and I know it's complicated, and I don't know the right answer, but but I think we can do better. And I think um, our heart should influence the way in which our politicians live. So, so, so I'm gonna say politically, let's move and look at it. Where should our heart be in regards to the immigrant? Well, we, to do that, we need to spend some time in scripture. So let's move from a lecture. So if you've been tuning out, you can come back and join us now. We're gonna move into scripture, if that's what you've been waiting for. Um, let's look at it. Now, most Christians, um, both the left and the right, will recognize that first and foremost that the Bible teaches uh, directly on this issue many times. There are many scriptures that talk about God's heart for the immigrant, for the foreigner, uh, for the alien. And we're going to look at just three of those real quickly. Here's the first two. Exodus 22, 21 says this. It says, uh, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. All right. We're going to unpack that in a second, but let's look at Leviticus. It's a very similar version of that law. Um, Leviticus 19, 33-34 says this, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The thing you need to realize and to understand is that the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, is a story of immigrants. I don't know if you thought about this. The entire Bible. Now, this actually makes sense because the entire story of humanity is a story of immigrants. We're people, humans, are people who've moved from one place to another for opportunity because of famine, because of war, etc. But just think about the Bible. Think about Abraham. Abraham left his country. If you're familiar with the story of Abraham, he left his country to journey to a new land. Or skip ahead to Jacob, one of the fathers of the faith. His family, because of a famine, much like the Irish, because of a famine, left their land and went to Egypt, where there was, where there was opportunity and where there was food. And just like we've seen over and over again, once they're in Egypt, guess what happens? The Egyptians become suspicious of them. Right? If, you've, if you've ever watched Prince of Egypt, you know, the story of Exodus, and they turn them into slaves. They oppress them, 
and give them the jobs that nobody else wants. It's the story we see over and over. This is thousands of years ago, and we see the story over and over again. So, once again, they become immigrants. Fleeing oppression, the Jews left Egypt, and they're headed to a new land. They're going to take a new land called the Promised Land, and God's going to give them this new land where they can finally call home. And they're on their way to this new land that they're in the desert, and God is giving them time to really think through how they're going to be different. He gives them all these laws, tons of laws. He says, you're created a new nation, and I want you to be different. And I want you to be like all the other nations. I want you to follow a different set of principles. Now, there's all kinds of ways in which they had to be different, but one of them was regarding the way in which they treated foreigners. At this time, there were no laws to protect foreigners in the ancient world. It just didn't, it didn't happen. There weren't, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, all of these ancient cultures didn't have laws written into their culture saying, this is how you treat a foreigner. But God said, my people are going to be different from all the other nations. And so I'm going to give you specific laws that are going to protect the rights of the foreigner. Not only do you have to treat them like us, like one another, and love them as yourself, but this isn't even my notes that ended up getting cut. But when he said, when he, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, when he initiated the tithe, when we were talking about money and giving, he goes on later in the passage, we didn't look at this, he goes on and say, this is where the tithe should go. And he says, it should go to the priests, the Levites, it should go to the to people who are caring for the religious community. It should go to widows and the fatherless. And guess where else? Foreigners. If you want to take scripture at face value, a quarter of our church's money should go towards immigrants. Uh, probably it's more complicated than that. But I'm just saying, like, there were specific laws about what it means to love and care for those who are in your midst who tend to be a little bit more vulnerable. And he says, it's all because you were once immigrants. He says, you know what it's like to be mistreated, right? You know what it's like to live in Egypt and be made into slaves. He says, so don't do that. <laughs> don't hurt people like you've been hurt. Live differently. Now, what I love about this is the laws are very simple, very clear. And when we move into the New Testament, we see Jesus say something very similar. In Matthew 25, 35, he's speaking sort of metaphorically about how the vulnerable are represented in him. And he says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Or in other places, he says, I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. The, the Greek word here for stranger is xenos. Um, it means stranger or foreigner. Uh, sometimes it's translated alien, uh, but it's basically someone who doesn't naturally belong. So it can, be, it can refer to a lot of different types of people. It's where we get the word xenophobia, which we maybe have heard in the headlines. Xenos, of course, meaning stranger and phobia. We know what that means. It means fear. So xenophobia, fear of the stranger. Jesus is saying here, don't be afraid of the immigrant. Welcome the immigrant in. In fact, later in the New Testament, the same word is used for us. And 1 Peter, in a similar way in Hebrews, Christians are referred to as foreigners and exiles. Christians are referred to as people who don't belong here but are living here. People who live in this world but belong to another one. People who are just sort of passing through. So even us, immigrants, is this 
term of endearment used for people of faith, people whose main identity isn't wrapped up in a particular nation, but is wrapped up in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I'm, I'm American, but I'm, a, I'm just an immigrant. I'm just passing through. This isn't my home. My citizenship isn't primarily here. It gets me in trouble with some nationalists, but it's just the Bible. We're invited as people of faith to live as immigrants. So when we look at Scripture and we take all of this into account, Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, we could spend lots more time here, but we're not going to. The story of God is a story of immigrants. And God has this huge heart for immigrants. And I think so should we. And I think that should influence how we vote. I think it should influence how we look at people. It has to. I can't imagine studying Scripture and not rallying around the Statue of Liberty and crying out with her profound words, give us your tired and your poor and your huddled masses, your homeless, your tempest-tossed. Bring them here. Come as you are. That's, that's the whole story of Scripture. That's what it means to be a believer. Let me be honest here for a second. You're like, oh, you haven't been honest so far? Yeah, no. Uh, if you haven't noticed, this is something that's like, I didn't realize until I was beginning to write this that this is something that I actually care a lot about. And I care a lot about it because I just don't even see why it's an issue. I'm just being honest with you. I just don't even see why it's an issue. This is just me. I'm not saying there isn't room in our church for people who see it as a very divisive issue or disagree with me. There's, there's room in our church for that. But setting my pastor role aside where I represent a, a community that's diverse, I'm saying me as an individual, I just don't have a problem with that. And I think I thought through this. and I'm like, I just love to travel. I love other cultures. I, if I could go to another country every year, I would go. Um, one of my goals is to... to to be an immigrant at some point. My, like I would love, one of my, on my bucket list is to live in another country at some point in my life. M maybe it's just for a month or for a summer or maybe for a year, I don't know. But someday I want to live in another country. And I love it when other cultures are here in our midst. I love it when, you know, I love to go down to the authentic Mexican, not, not the Mexican restaurant, but the authentic Mexican restaurant that reminds me of when I went to Mexico. I love, you know, experiences I've had going up to Dearborn, Michigan, where there's this really dense Arab population. You walk the streets and you got to barter at the stores. It's just fascinating. I'm completely energized by that. In my heart, there's just no room for even the discussion. I'm so, I just don't even see why it's an issue. I don't see why we disagree about it. Okay. Because of that, God really challenged me this week. Because I'll tell you, the last thing I want to do is sit down, because of just where I'm at, the last thing, and don't judge me, we all have things we're passionate about, okay? I mean, it might not be that, but it's something, right? So because that's one of the things that I'm just like, you know, like this is my heart, God's like, I, I just knew the Holy Spirit convicted me. I had to sit down with somebody I knew I would disagree with. A friend who does not view immigration the way I do. Um, and uh, I, I, I told God, I was like, I am not inviting him over to have this conversation. So guess what I ended up doing? Yeah, I invited him over I'll be honest with you, it is far easier to disagree with someone on a screen, isn't it, than to invite someone into your living room, offer them a cup of coffee, and then listen to and make an argument that, you, that breaks your heart. 
that's what I did. Now I'm not gonna talk about what we talked about because I'll be honest with you, he didn't change my mind. I don't feel like I understand the other side any better. So I'm not sure there was an entirely practical purpose that God had it other than to say this, this is what was going on in my heart. I found it very difficult to listen. Very difficult. I found it very difficult not to argue. I found it very difficult not to interrupt, which is something I struggle with anyways. Right, Alyssa? I found it very difficult to, to really seek to understand. And I was trying. And I still interrupted and I still got excited. I, I found it really difficult not to take it personally. And, and you're probably thinking, well, yeah, like that's just, that's what it means to be human. We're all passionate about things. You're thinking like, who, why do you even bring that up? Here's why I bring it up. Here's why that matters. Because this is what scripture says. Scripture says, I, I don't want you to be conformed to the patterns of this world. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's one of our memory verses. Scripture says, I want you to be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to get angry. Scripture says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, except what is useful for encouragement. That doesn't have anything to say with disagreeing with somebody, being passionate about it, but what is it? I believe God has a huge heart for the immigrant, not because of anything they've done, but because of who God is. And because of that, I also believe, I have to believe, that God has a big heart for those I disagree with. God loves them too. And that, friends, is difficult. So not only should I think, do I think we should stand up for the vulnerable? I, I think we should. But we have to find a way to bridge the divide and, and engage a conversation because we're not doing the vulnerable any, we're not doing the vulnerable in this any benefit by ostracizing more and more people. We have to let go of our own arrogance. I have a pastor friend who wrote a poem that uh, just is like a knife cutting into me. So I'm going to share it with all of you. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, don't, don't play it yet, um, but just in one second. I'm way off script, so it's not your fault. I'm not even looking at it anymore. Um, so I asked him to, uh, uh, if I could share this poem, if he would record the audio, and we made it into a video. And I think he captures well, very in very biting almost sarcastic, satirical language. Um, poetry can do that. Um, uh, some of the challenge of what it means to get past some of our differences. So let's, uh, let's watch that. Your mind. 
isn't going to help anyone. We will all just keep spinning circles around our sinfulness. So hold tight to your bias. Ignore any sense of cooperation. And remember that those who have the strongest opinions are the ones who have thought the least about. Keep justifying your familiarity. Keep hating what you don't understand. And keep not trying to understand. Keep yelling. Keep defending your inherited positions with your cold hands gripping with masked uncertainty the cold steel of your mental rifle. Keep recklessly paralyzing what might be helpful for the sake of your agenda. Keep informing your uninformed absolutes because the world would be so much better if we were all just like you. If we were all as enlightened as you. If we could just see what you see. But let's not talk about what you fail to see. So that we can ensure nothing good will come of this. Be ignorant. Be hostile. Be disinterested in whatever you might not know so long as nothing changes and nothing pushes you and you feel better about obviously being better. Be a full cup that no new water can enter into. For we often fear that maybe, just maybe, we might be wrong. So I suppose you just need to do nothing. Don't know the complex reality of the world. Don't listen. Don't learn. Don't feel. Don't unfold yourself and therefore allow this global mass of life and its creatures to unfold. Don't see beyond your eyes what you're actually failing to see at all. And everything will be all right. Well, at least everything will cycle through as it always has. Live in that small world and you won't be happy. So we're going to finish uh, the teaching today with some reflection. Spend some time reflecting through um, a number of questions. I'm going to invite you to write down if you brought your journal or if you have something to write with. These are some of the questions we're going to wrestle with this week. First one is this. Is there someone I could, be pra- I could practice listening to? Uh, someone who might be hard for you to listen to because you tend to disagree. Um, even if you disagree with them and you have no plan to change your mind, uh, spend time reflecting on that experience. What was your, where was your heart? What was going on in your heart when you were listening? The second question is this, do other cultures and races energize or excite you, or do, you tend to make, or do they tend to make you nervous or even fearful? Uh, sociologists divide a lot of people, um, they love to divide people into categories, sorry. It's not me, it's them. Um, but uh, into typical you know, nationalist or globalist, and there's this huge shift in our culture where people are becoming more and more nationalist and others are becoming more and more globalist. And I'm just reflect on that. Where do, you, do, do other cultures excite and energize you, or do they tend to make you nervous or even fearful? And what's going on there and why? And how can you understand people who are on the other side? And, and then the last one, what do you think it means to be an immigrant in the spiritual sense? Uh, in the, as one who is living in an earthly kingdom and nation of America, but you belong to a heavenly one, or you're, you're seeking something bigger as a, some, as a citizen of heaven. So we're going to spend some time this week reflecting on those. Um, and what it means to be a church um, that can move beyond division and into conversation, regardless of where you are. Let's pray. God, we come before you, and um, we ask that you would um, continue to speak into our hearts and our our lives, that you'd continue to stretch and challenge us, that um, being right isn't the same thing as being loving. So help us to love one another. 
while not um, jeopardizing our call to stand up for and defend the vulnerable. Work within our hearts and our minds. Show us that balance and that the beautiful way in which you did that when you were here living in our earth. So Lord, as we continue to wrestle and discuss, we ask that you would um, help us grow. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.